Well, good morning, church family. It's good to see you. And if you're a guest, we're glad you're with us. And those of you watching online right now, glad that you're with us as well. Uh, this last week was kind of a neat week for us in our home. Uh, my middle child, my oldest daughter, Isabel, uh, had a chance to work her first job, all right? So she's been looking for a job, and her dream job has really been in, to be in a bakery because she loves to bake. And so she got hired on in a local bakery. And so Thursday was her first day, you know, show up, and it was just a few hours of, of shadowing somebody. It's like, here's the door you go in and here's, you know, the responsibilities. And so she was just learning the ins and outs of what this job will look like and shadowing somebody to learn a little bit. I had the, ch the chance to pick her up from work. And so I try to come early because since she's at a bakery, you know, I, I, I've got to support the cause, you know, <laughs> just saying. And so uh, the gal there said, you know, may I help you? I said, yeah, I'd love to be helped, but I'd really like it if this young lady could help me. And so uh, she helped me pick out some cupcakes to take home. And I was one of the first, one of the first people she got to use to like figure out how to rein thing up. And it was just so cool to watch her in a new environment, learning new skills. And it was just, a, it was a proud dad moment. And then this bakery, like most bakeries, um, you know, her training day was on a Thursday, but they wanted her to work yesterday, a Saturday from nine to five. And so Saturday is like crazy day, especially right now, people are buying like, you know, punch key and all that kind of stuff like that. It's crazy. And so they just, it was like, hey, here's your Thursday, learn how to do some things. And then Saturday, throw you in the deep end, right? It's kind of like, we're going to teach you how to swim in the shallow end and then just throw you in the deep end on Saturday. And so uh, she came back from work yesterday going like, oh man, I'm so tired, but it was fun, but I'm tired, but it was fun. And it was so neat to see her, you know, Know, take some of what she had learned and then try to figure it out as she was walking it out. And do you guys remember that? You remember like your first job or maybe like your first week of college or your first time in your career where you had some training, you had some equipping, you know, you maybe shadowed some people, you did some education and then it was just go time, right? It was like, all right, here you go. And you're just like, oh, okay, I just have to try to apply what I've learned. That's exactly what we're going to see right now when we open the Bible. So we've been going through this series called Search and Rescue, and we're looking at the Search and Rescue mission of Jesus, where he's on this mission to reach the lost, those people who are far from God. And he's wanting them to know that, that reconciliation with God, this, this fractured relationship is being put back together and that the kingdom of God has come. And so uh, he is followed by a mass amount of people. Some of those people are just curious onlookers. Some of them are critics. Uh, but a lot of these people are followers. They're disciples. They're people who uh, want to learn what Jesus is saying. They're, they're following him and his ways. And then he's going to handpick from the disciples. He's going to handpick 12 that he calls apostles. And then he's going to pour into them. He's going to invite them into a deeper apprenticeship, hands-on training. And the moment we're about to look at is when he then takes those 12 and then launches them saying, all right, it's go time. It's time to get out there and apply what you've learned. And so we're going to look at this moment in, in history and we're going to learn some lessons from that. And so I invite you to open up your Bibles with me to the book of Luke. We're going to be in the book of Luke. We've been spending an extended amount of time in the book of Luke over the last year and some time to come. And we're going to be in Luke 9. And uh, as you're turning to Luke 9, I just want to think about this mission that Jesus is on. And when you think about what you observe through the mission of Jesus, here's a pattern that you're going to pick up on. Reach, equip, send, repeat. Jesus is reaching the lost. And once they're found, he equips them. And then he's going to send them out. And then that's the pattern to repeat. It's going to be reach, equip, send, repeat. And as you hear those three words... Which one do you think best describes where you're at right now in your spiritual life? 
Would it be reach? That, that you're exploring spiritual things. You're trying to figure out God. You're trying to figure out the Bible. You're trying to figure out Jesus. And, and Jesus is trying to reach you with an understanding that you don't have. He's trying to reach your heart so that you can uh, understand the love that God has for you and, and what it will be like if you dedicate your life to him and love him back and, and realize that uh, he offers forgiveness. And, and with you repenting of your sin, you can have this amazing relationship. Is it, is it reach or is it equip? Where either you feel young in your faith or maybe you just feel ill-equipped or you feel um, under, under, you know, um, uh, underutilized in your faith. And I just need to know more, but I, I just want to know more about my faith and what it's like to be like Jesus. And so maybe it's the equipping or maybe it's the sending piece. Maybe you're a very mature believer in Christ. You know the Bible. You know how to study the Bible. You, you understand your relationship with God and, and what that means to Christ. But really, the sin piece is absent from your life. It's, it's been a, it's a love-hate relationship. You know God's called you to do it, um, but you've been reluctant or you just feel like you've been um, disengaged from the sinning. Which one of those words are you saying best describes where you're at right now? And so I would like to, you to keep that running in the background as we look at the passage and look at these lessons that we're going to learn looking at Jesus in out the 12. So Luke 9, verse 1 says this, and he, Jesus, called the 12 together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Let's pray. Lord, as we open up your word right now, uh, we come as hungry students. We want to learn. But God, please don't let us be satisfied with merely information. We want to become more like Christ. We want to be active in the things that are on your heart. We want to be involved in that which you gave your life for. And so we're also asking for transformation, Lord, and participation in uh, your kingdom. And so guide us, lead us, direct us as we open up your word and spend time in it. In Jesus' name. We all said. Amen. Looking at that text, I just want to look at seven brief lessons that we can pull out from when Jesus sends out the 12. Now, uh, there's moments in Scripture where you see that are very descriptive. This is a moment in time. It's being described. Then there are those that are prescriptive. Uh, this is what we want you to do. And so this is a very descriptive moment. It's a description of what Jesus is doing with his apostles. But there are certain principles that can be prescriptive, and we're looking for those. And so seven brief lessons we can learn from Jesus since out the 12 apostles. The first one is this, work together. Work together. Look at verse 1 again. It says that Jesus called the 12 together. I think we need to break the myth right now that when you think about the apostles and the disciples following Jesus, we know that it was about a three-year period. And we get this envision that these individuals followed Jesus for three uninterrupted years. That it was just 24-7 with Jesus. But clearly it wasn't because he says to call them together. Well, where were they? Well, these people had family. They had friends. Some of them still had jobs. And so we get a little bit of a more um, insight into the fact that uh, they spent a lot of time with Jesus, but obviously they went back to be with family, back to be with friends and take care of responsibilities, and then would come back and sit under the teaching and tutelage of Jesus again, under his apprenticeship, if you will. And so I think that's very freeing for us because we have jobs, we have families, we have responsibilities as we follow Christ. And so we're, we're active students, we're engaged, uh, but Jesus also wants us to fulfill the the, the 
the responsibilities we have with our families and our you know, other responsibilities in life, but, but prioritize what he's teaching us in life. And so we see that he calls them together. And it says it's called the 12. And so we know that Jesus had this massive amount of disciples. And I think we need to make sure we understand a distinctive right here. There is a distinction between disciples and apostles, because sometimes those terms are used interchangeably. I think this is a good guiding principle for us to understand. All the apostles were disciples, but not all the disciples were apostles. And so obviously, uh, the disciples, that means to be a student, we're, we're all disciples of Jesus as followers of Christ. We're sitting under his teaching. But the apostles were 12 handpicked, selected people by Jesus for a special season. They were given a special anointing, a special power, a special authority that the others didn't have. And so he brought them into more of an intensive apprenticeship, if you will, to walk and learn and grow with them. And so he now has called those 12 together. He, he he didn't, he didn't go to each one independently and say, like, okay, I'm coming to you, and here's the mission I have for you. Now go. And go find another one. Say, okay, I'm going to find you and, you know, go. He called them together. There's a, there's a gathering. It's so important that there's this gathering. And then if you read the same account in Mark chapter 6, in Mark chapter 6, the, the camera angle of this moment, basically, from the eyes of Mark, is that then Jesus paired them up, and he sent them out two by two. And so when Jesus is getting ready to send these apostles, he didn't just send them rogue, you know, to go on their own somewhere. He, he brought them together and then paired them up and sent them out. And so this was to be, you know, you've got a companion, you've got support, you've got security, you've got encouragement, you've got accountability. It was going to strengthen the message that they were bringing to the people that they were sent to, that there was two instead of just one. And so we see this principle that Jesus is giving of calling them together. And if you were to look at uh, the names, a lot of us know the people here. You've got Simon Peter and his brother Andrew. You've got James. You've got John. You've got Philip. Bartholomew, known as Nathaniel. Uh, you've got Matthew. You've got Thomas. Uh, you've got James, the son of Alphaeus. You've got Simon, the zealot. You've got Judas, the son of James, also known as Thaddeus. And then you've got Judas Iscariot, who betrayed Jesus. This, this is the team Jesus, right? This is who he called together. And so he called them together to work together and sent them out to work together. And so I think this is so important. Just on the note, by the way, I think this is a good uh, sidebar because we live in a world of spiritual confusion. I just had a couple conversations today that, that validated this. Uh, I want to just tap on this for a second about the term apostle. Because uh, there are some out there that teach that this is still a role today, that you still have modern-day apostles in the church. And so let's just talk about that for a second. When you read through scriptures, especially like Ephesians 4, 11, and 12, and some others, uh, you see that God has given apostolic gifting to the church. It's good to think about apostolic gifting as basically this spiritual drive, this spiritual entrepreneurship that some have to keep advancing the kingdom of God. So new church plants, new movements, new opportunities to keep reaching. It's kind of the, those who are apostolic in their nature. They have this apostolic gifting. And so that's a, that's a little A, apostle. But then there are those who say, no, 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 there's still capital A apostles that wear all the weight and the authority of that particular church denomination or theological construct. And what we see in scriptures, that doesn't exist. 
these 12 were given a unique opportunity. They were capital A apostles, but that role is no longer active. God's given us his word as his authority. And so although leaders and churches have a degree of authority, God's the authority. And we all point to God as the authority, not to any one individual over a church. And so we don't see capital A apostles anymore. They have the same weight that if they say something, that's, that's, that's God. Uh, no, God captured it here with these capital A apostles, and then he gave apostolic gifting. I just think it's important to understand that because some of you come out of backgrounds or have loved ones in backgrounds or will continue to hear this teaching that there's apostles today and that they have the divine authority of God and you have to listen to what they say, whether it matches up with scripture or not, by the way. And obviously that's not the case. And so I just want to make sure that uh, we plant that there because it's so important. So defining moment, Jesus calls the disciples together. He pairs them up. He sends them out to work together. And I think that that's so important for us to remember because our Western American mindset is individualistic. It's, it, we're drawn to isolation. We're drawn to be, you know, these individuals. And God called us to be part of a community. And so as we're out there doing the work of God, we're, we're called to do it together. Take, for example, uh, our effort with Who's Your One. Who's Your One is something that we you know, brought to the church last year. It's not something we're doing for six months or a year. It's an ongoing part of who we are as a church that uh, we're going to have our radar on, that when God brings a person into our circle that we feel a heart to connect to, and God gives us a love for that person, then, then we're going to invest in them. They're going to be our one that we're just going to pray for. We're going to just serve. We're going to, um, man, just, just really enjoy an authentic friendship. And when God opens the door, we're going to share the gospel with that person, hoping that uh, they'll come to know Christ. And so even with who's your one, it's not like, well, you just do yours and you just do yours and you just do yours. And it's like, no, we're all doing this. And so it's part of our conversation. How's things going with your one? How are you praying for your one? Has there been spiritual movement with your one? How can I encourage you? How can I support you? Hey, let's get our ones together and go do something. And we got to work together. And so let's break out of the, the, the chains that our culture brings, this individualistic, you know, I've got this. And like, no, God brings us together just like he brought the disciples together. I think that's an important lesson. Second lesson we see here, use Christ equipping. It says here that when Jesus called the apostles together, he gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. You know, two weeks ago, Pastor Rick Duncan, our founding pastor, talked about a moment in Luke chapter 8 where Jesus had authority and power over a demon-possessed man. This man had uh, demons, multiple in him, called legion. And Jesus came, and <laughs> legion was scared about the power and authority that Jesus had. And so he, he, he freed that man from that demonic oppression. Last week, we saw Pastor Josh Stone, our campus pastor for our Strongsville campus, we're launching uh, in September, and it's in the middle of launching right now. Uh, he taught last week about Jesus having authority and power over sickness and disease. And we saw two incidents. We saw a woman who had a chronic blood issue that was healed instantly when she touched just the, the, the hem of the garment of Jesus' robe. And then right after that, he he took a girl that had died and brought her back to life. And so this is the power and authority that Jesus has. Look what Jesus does in this moment. He calls the 12 together and then he says, I'm giving you my power. I'm giving you my authority. So what you've seen me do as they've walked around, this is early on in the ministry of Jesus, as they've walked around and see Jesus demonstrate divine power with this authority unlike anyone else, he's going, now I'm going to give you some of that. Now notice, he didn't send them until what? He gave them the power and authority. And so he said, I don't want you to depend on your thinking. I don't want you to depend on your strength. 
You have to use mine for the mission I'm about to send you on. And so he gives them the power and the authority to go and do spiritual work. And so they're to go out and do what God calls. This is a classic example of when uh, God calls, God equips. And I think this is an important lesson for us because... When we follow Christ and we take seriously the Great Commission and, and all other activities related to God's kingdom, I think it's very easy for us to slip back into our own strength. Come on, let's, let's agree, right? It's very easy. Like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to go do this. This is me. It's very easy to slip back into our own strength. We have to use Christ's authority. And so when you become a follower of Christ, the Holy Spirit of God takes up residence inside of you. The Holy Spirit of God comes to live within you, which means God's power and God's authority through the name of Jesus Christ are now at your disposal. And this is so important because I think we can be intimidated by spiritual work. Uh, we can be intimidated and reluctant to, to share about Christ. We can be intimidated and reluctant to, to go on that missions trip or let alone go across the street, right, to try to represent Christ. And we have to remember, no, 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 no. We have been given authority and power through the name of Christ. I love what we see in 1 John 4. In 1 John 4, 4, God speaks through the apostle John. He says, little children, you are from God and have overcome them. Well, who's the them? If you back up a couple verses, we're talking about the, the spirit of the Antichrist, spirits, false teachers. He's saying you've overcome them for he who is in you is, what's the next word? Greater than he who's in the world. And so uh, I think we need to be rebooted in our thinking on like, no, no, no. If I follow Christ and I have the name of Christ over me as a beloved child of God and I have the Holy Spirit of God in me, I have authority and power. I don't need to be scared. I don't need to be intimidated. Um, God's power is available to me. It's available to you to speak the truth of God from his word. It's, when you speak to others about God, there's power and authority at work in that moment. And so we need to use Christ according equipping as we live for Christ, as we try to share Christ. I think that's an important lesson. But what's the purpose? Why did God give this power and authority to the apostles through Christ? Well, for the next lesson, I think, to proclaim Christ and his kingdom. It's to proclaim, it's not to make a spectacle, it's not to be sensational, it's not to, to, to elevate ourselves above others. Look what it says in verse 2, after Jesus empowered the apostles. It says, he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. The word apostle means sent one. It means one who's being sent as an ambassador. And so he's, he gave them his power and authority because he's sending them to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And so I think it's very important to realize that the proclaiming of Christ and of Christ's kingdom is the primary goal. And then this healing backs up the message. Because it's the proclaiming, it's the proclamation that takes precedent. That's why the Lord empowered these people. And so all followers of Jesus for all eras, of, of all walks of life, we share a similar mission now with these apostles to be sent to go to proclaim who Jesus is and what he's done and to talk about the kingdom of God. Now at this moment in time, Jesus hadn't died on the cross yet. Jesus hasn't resurrected. So, so what are these guys preaching? Well, they're basically talking about Jesus because they're going into Jewish towns primarily. And so the Jews know that there's a Messiah coming. They know that this one's going to bring healing and teaching and, and all these things, kind of an Isaiah 61 fulfillment. And so these uh, paired up apostles are showing up in the villages going, he's here. Let me tell you about Christ. Here's who he is. Here's what he's done. Here's what we've seen. They're proclaiming Christ and all that they've seen and done to support that the kingdom of God is now here and active and initiated and taking place. 
we have the same responsibility to proclaim Christ, but we get the joy of adding the crucifixion and the resurrection to what we get to proclaim. But we need to proclaim the gospel and follow that pattern, reach, equip, send, repeat. That's why all of this is taken on in place. Now, Anytime we talk like this, we have to hit the obvious uh, question that arises for many people about the healings piece because it's supernatural and, and it's sensational for some people. What, what about healings? So I want you to think about the ministry of Jesus for a minute. If Jesus only preached and did no miracles, what would be the effect of that? Right? Like he would be teaching and there would be, people would understand, oh, there's this belief system that I need to adopt into my mind. And there's this kind of set of rules that I'm going to start to live by. And so it would be a, a spiritual reality, but it wouldn't really impact them physically too much. And so there'd be a lot of teaching, but there's no healing. What if Jesus only healed, but never preached? What if all he did is go around and just make people feel better and heal people? What then? Well, people would be grateful for the spiritual or the, the physical impact, but they would miss the whole point, right? The, the whole point is like, you're, you're going to die anyways. We're just temporarily fixing you. But the point is so that your eyes and your ears can be tuned to the spiritual reality. So Jesus' ministry was both physical and spiritual. Think about that. The birth of Christ. Physical. He was a little baby, right? But it was the incarnation, God in flesh, deeply spiritual, right? Think about the ministry of Jesus, preaching, healing, right? He touched body and soul. You think about the resurrection of Jesus. The resurrection of Jesus, it was a spiritual resurrection. God controls death and he defeated death, but it was physical. Jesus was raised with a body. And so our resurrection in the future of God's kingdom, guess what? It's both a physical and spiritual reality. And so I think it's so important because we see what Jesus has done. He's saying the, the primary mission is to go and proclaim this message, but I'm going to give you the ability to back it up a bit. And so as you think about your mission to reach your one and anyone else that God brings into your life, uh, what if you only talk at them, but you never do anything for them? What if you only do stuff for them, but you never tell them the gospel? See, it has to touch both body and soul. That's the reality. Also, when we talk about healings, I think it's a big uh, issue because uh, the topic of healing is very controversial in churches. It's unfortunate because it's a beautiful thing, but it's a very controversial thing. You basically find three groups of people. Uh, on one extreme, you have the camp that says no healings. There's no more supernatural activity. God doesn't heal. Uh, when the disciples died, the ability to do supernatural healing died with them. So there's no healing today. Don't ask. God's not, God's not involved. It's all fake. Then you have this other extreme over here. It says, no, seek healing. It's all about the healing. In fact, if there's no healing, God's not at work. So it's almost like, well, who cares if they get saved? Do they get healed? <laughs> over here. Over here, it's like, well, who cares if they get healed? Do they get saved? You know, and so then there's the group in the middle, which is where I put myself. I think I put most of us, and that's where our church is. We believe that God still does heal. So is it okay to ask God to heal? Is it, is it okay to ask God to extend life? Is it okay to ask God to remove sickness and disease? Is, is it okay to ask God to repair our bodies? Is, is that okay still? Yes, absolutely. Scripture is loaded with all of this. But here's our mature anchor to this topic. God can heal he just doesn't always heal. Because sometimes there's things he wants to teach us outside the healing. Unless, of course, you broaden your thinking to realize life's not about life on earth. We are souls with a body. Our kingdom is a heavenly kingdom. We get to enjoy earth as part of the mix. And so if you start to put that lens over everything, then guess what? God always heals his children. Because once you're done with this life, you have ultimate healing. 
and the brothers and sisters in Christ who have died and have gone on, they're, they're walking in heaven with the Lord healed. And they don't have the sufferings that this earth had. And so I, I know that's a little bit of an offshoot, but we, we have to touch base on that because this topic can be so controversial. I love how uh, Wayne Grudem, who's a theologian and pastor, articulated this. It was a very robust paragraph that I think touches it well. He says this. This is found in the book Systematic Theology. He says, There is nothing inappropriate in seeking miracles for the proper purposes for which they are given by God to confirm the truthfulness of the gospel message, to bring help to those in need, to remove hindrances to people's ministries, to bring God glory. This would seem to be especially appropriate when our motivation is a Christ-like compassion for those in need and a burning desire to see Christ's kingdom advance and his name glorified. And so I think that's appropriate. So, so Jesus now is, is saying, look, I'm going to have you proclaim me and my kingdom. I'm going to let you have the healing part of it, but the proclamation is more important. So go reach and then equip and then send and repeat. And this is what he's saying. Fourth lesson I think we see in this text that we can really draw on, depend on God. Depend on God. Look at verse four or three. He said to them, take nothing for your journey. No staff, no bag, no bread, no money. Don't even have two tunics. Okay, I just want you to pause and think about how you prepare for a vacation. <laughs> or a road trip for a couple days, right? Now, some of you, you're like, hey, I'm leaving in an hour. And you throw it all in a duffel bag and you're good, right? Some of you are like that. Some of you, okay, five months out. <laughs> The paper comes out, check boxes start to merge. Here's the list. Here's the packing. You know who you are because you're going like this right now. Like you're, looks like a bobblehead, right? Yeah. And there's this packing and preparation system and everything. Uh, that's all fine and good. Think about what Jesus is telling the apostles here to do. You're going to go. And he says, I want you to travel light. Very, very light. You're not taking a staff. What's with the staff? Well, just the terrain. It was very common to have a walking stick because the terrain was rocky and ups and downs. So don't take a staff. Plus, it was protection. If someone were to attack you, you got something to hit them with, you know. <laughs> so, so no staff and no luggage. No backpack, no sack. You're not carrying anything. And by the way, while we're on the topic, no food. You're like, what? Like some of our cars when we go on a, like a road trip looks like a mini Costco on wheels, right? <laughs> you got stuff tucked everywhere, right? He's like, you're not taking any food. In fact, leave your wallet and your purses home. You don't take any money. And no change of clothes. Like, think about this. No money, no food, no change of clothes, no, nothing to hold anything. Just go. Why would he do that? Well, we do know one part of it is just the sense of urgency. Like, look, if you get a call from a, a friend or family member who's in crisis who needs something in a bad way, you don't typically step back like, okay, what do I need for this event? You pack for it and four, four hours later, you, you just drop and go. So I think there's this urgency. Like, I just need you to go now. Like, we're on borrowed time. I'm going to be crucified soon. There's a lot of people that need to hear this message. Just go. I don't want you messing with packing. I don't want you distracted by preparations. Just go. So we, we know that's part of it, but I think the bigger part is just depend on what God's going to provide. Amen. I mean, is it, this area right here just stabs us in the heart, right? I think this is an area of great weakness for a lot of us. It's like we believe God can provide, but then you look at the way we live and it doesn't always match up. He, he stripped them of everything that they would have confidence in and said, go. 
and just see how the Lord provides and shows up. I love when you fast forward. If you fast forward to Luke chapter 22, and Luke chapter 22, verse 35, much later in the ministry of Jesus, Jesus goes back to this moment. Look what he says to him. He says, hey, when I sent you out with no money bag, no knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? And they said what? Nothing. 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 Everything was provided for. And so a big lesson right here is to provide, let, uh, trust God's provision. Trust God's provision. Now, quick, again, descriptive, not prescriptive. This is not what Jesus is calling all, of, all believers of all times to do. Like, just drop everything and you have nothing. Because after Luke 22, 35, and 36, he, he sends them out again, but this time he says, Pack. So one time he tells them not to pack, then another time he tells them to pack. So, so don't leave here going like, well, I guess I'm supposed to just sell everything and just, like God will show up, he'll provide for you, but that's not what Jesus is saying here. The principle, depend on God. How can we increase our dependence on God and how he's going to provide in our life? The fifth lesson I think we see here, embrace hospitality. Now, when we say that, yes, Christians are to be known as people of hospitality, our doors should always be open. We should welcome people. We should use our resources. We should be hospitable. But that's not what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about receiving the offer of hospitality from someone else. When Jesus traveled, he pretty much just stayed with whoever had him. He would just show up and people would just bring him over. That's why the gospels are full of, he went to this person's house for dinner, and he went to that person's house, and he stayed here, and he stayed there, right? He's doing the same thing with the disciples. He's saying, you're going to go, and as you go... Just stay with whoever has you, right? Look at that. Look at verse 4. Jesus said, whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. He says, so you're going to pair up. You're going to go to these villages. You've been empowered. You've been given authority. You've given, you know, um, power. You don't have anything with you. You're going to show up to this village, and someone in that village is going to say, why don't you stay with me? And you say, awesome, and you stay with them, and you, you don't go anywhere else. Just stay with that person, which means don't upgrade. I mean, think about it. A couple strangers come into your village. They have a message they want to tell you, and you invite them in, but then they hear that, like, you know, Jose down the street's got a nicer house. So, hey, man, I got more food. I got more room. I got a pool. Why don't you come stay with me? And they leave your place to go down there. What, what's the impression you're getting at that point? And there's the self-interest. They're, they're looking for the bigger and the better. But if they come and just stay with you, and receive the hospitality you're offering, these people are really about authentic relationship, genuine relationship, and they're going to invest where God has opened the door. So I think about this note, I hope you all understand, if you have unbelieving friends, unbelieving coworkers, uh, you're one, you know, for example, if they invite you into their life, and if they invite you into their home, do we understand what a great privilege that is? If all we do is say, like, oh, no, 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 but you can come to my place, or you can come to my thing, that's going to send the wrong message. So embrace hospitality when it's offered from someone else. Jesus is saying, stay where you are invited and don't go anywhere else. And when you leave, that's the place, the place you come to is the place you leave, and it's all about hospitality. And so as you live for Christ and to share Christ, just go with the doors that God opens you, within reason, of course. Obviously, a sinful environment's not one we're talking about, but just, just go with the doors that God opens you. Embrace hospitality. Sixth lesson I see here for us as we're living for Christ is shake off discouragement. Shake off discouragement. Jesus gives the apostles some very unusual instructions next. Look at verse 5. He says, and wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. 
Jesus is tapping into a cultural uh, phenomenon of the day that was practiced by very strict Jews. And so strict Jews saw uh, their land as holy and, and, and anointed land. And so if you traveled, which you often did, a lot of times you would have to go through what's called Gentile territory, right? Non-Jew. And so uh, non-Jews were dirty in their eyes. Uh, they would be contaminated. So when you come back home to your homeland, before you step back into your land, you shake off your feet to get that icky Gentile dust off your shoes. So you're literally like shaking off all that, you know, Gentile de decontamination so you can walk into your land. So Jesus is taking that concept and he's saying, look, 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 if you go into a village and they're not receptive and they're hostile and they want you out of there, don't impose it. Don't force it. You know, uh, Jesus didn't um, kick down the door and push himself on people. He, he, was, he lived this life of invitation and spoke boldly and truthful where the invitation came. And so he's saying in the same way, when you go into a village and, and they don't want anything to do with the message, when you leave that city, shake off the dust. What that is, it's a physical symbol to basically say, we came, we shared, you wanted nothing to do with the message, and so we're out. <laughs> and it means this, it means the disciples didn't fail. They didn't do something wrong. They, 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 they weren't a failure. Uh, it's just that the, the audience wasn't receptive, so it was time to move on. And so a, a very similar gesture for us would, you know, be kind of like this, right? Just like, kind of wipe my hands and move on. But it's not done with attitude. It's not like, well, it's fine, you know. It's, it's like, all right, we came. This, this is very freeing for us. Because as you look at your one and all the other people that you're hoping to come to Christ, I, I know many of you, you're praying for multiple people. You're investing in multiple people. You love them deeply because you want them to know Jesus like you know Jesus. And there are going to be those people that, that the second you start to share the gospel, they're ready, man. God's just got them ready. They, they've been waiting for this moment of clarity to understand, understanding the relationship with God and forgiveness and the, the cross and the Bible. And it all comes online and they're ready. There are other people that you're going to walk with for years. Years praying, investing, loving them. But here's the thing. But you'll see little pieces of movement. You'll see little breakthroughs. There'll always be some degree of receptivity in the mix. But then there are those, they don't want anything to do with your Jesus. They don't want you to say his name. They don't want you to, pre they don't want anything. They're just, they, there is a giant wall on fire <laughs> with a moat and alligators and sharks. And like, like there's no getting in. And I think this is a freeing principle for us because at some point you have to go, Look, I'm going to love them, I'm going to pray for them, and I'm going to hope they come to Christ, but I need to invest myself in someone who's at least interested in hearing what I have to say. And so, do you love those people well? Yes. Do you still pray for them? Yes. Do you still hope for them? Yes. But why keep trying to go after spiritual hard pan when there's this nice soil over here that's ready for some seeds? And so I think that's a principle we can extract and go, there are going to be times when we kind of have to dust off our feet and go, I'm here, I love you, I hope for you, but I'm just, I'm just going to focus my gospel energy in some other people who are a little bit more receptive. And that's okay, because that's what Jesus was telling the disciples to do as well. And the last lesson we see here is to continue faithfully. Look at verse 6. It says, they departed and went through the villages preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. They did what Jesus told them to do. They faithfully lived out what Jesus said. 
They continued. I want you to think about the implications of that. If you know Christ, it's because God sent someone to you, a mom, a dad, a friend, somebody, God sent someone to you to share. And now you know. But guess what? God sent someone to them. And God sent someone to that person. And God sent someone to that person. We're living the spiritual legacy of God sending, right? He's reaching, equipping, sending, repeat, reaching, equipping, sending, repeat. And now we have knowledge of the gospel and we have relationship with Christ because of people faithfully continuing. So that puts on us then this incredible pressure. Are we going to faithfully continue? Are we going to continue what's come our way? Or are we going to just stop and become consumed with earthly things and self-centered pursuits? You know, there's a, there's a great little book. If this is a topic you want to lean into, uh, this book has been around for years. It's a good little read. It's called The Master Plan of Evangelism by a guy named Robert Coleman. He basically says, let's just look at how Jesus made disciples and take note. <laughs> now, let's just try to do what Jesus did. It's a great little read. And uh, he, he puts this this way when it comes to our, the sharing of our faith. He says, Christian disciples are sent men and women sent out in the same work of world evangelism to which the Lord was sent and for which he gave his life. Evangelism is not an optional accessory to our life. It is the heartbeat of all that we're called to be and do. Everything done in the name of Christ has its justification in fulfilling this mission. Will we faithfully continue like the disciples faithfully continued? Because there's people that need to hear about Jesus. I want to remind us of something God told us to the Apostle Paul found in Romans 10, 14 to 15. It says, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are, what's the word? Sent. As it's written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Reach, equip, sin, repeat. Reach, equip, sin, repeat. You know, technology is amazing. Technology has made the gospel more accessible than, than any other time in history. But God always has and will always continue to use people as his primary mechanism to share the gospel. Because people love and people connect and people reach people. And so will you be that person who will continue faithfully? I just want to look at these seven brief lessons that we just looked at. Work together. Use Christ's equipping. Proclaim Christ in his kingdom. Depend on God. Embrace humility. Shake off discouragement. Continue faithfully. As you look at those, which one's crying out to you? In your stage of being equipped right now as a disciple of Jesus, which one's crying out to you? Which one has God highlighting in your spirit that you need to lean into as you think about your one, as you think about the people that you're praying for, as you think about your personal equipping as, as an evangelistic follower of Christ, which is the one that you need to lean into. And as you think about that, when you go back to those three words, may, maybe you're here today or you're watching online and you're needing to be reached. Like you just need to know God loves you. Your sin keeps you from God. Jesus solved that problem by dying on the cross for your sin. And has broken that barrier so you can come. He's trying to reach you. Will today be the day that you give your life to Christ? And if that's you, all you need to do is tell the Lord that. You just need to admit it. Lord, I'm broken. I'm lost. I'm sinful. 
I believe you sent Jesus to die on the cross for my sin. I commit to follow him today. Don't know exactly what that looks like, but I know I need it. <laughs> and you just give your life to Christ. And if you do that, we want to celebrate and walk with you. So fill out your response card in your program that you gave your life to Christ. Turn it in. Give us an email. Give us a phone number. We'll get back in touch with you to say, here's how you grow. But the equipping piece. If you're still need to be equipped in whatever one of those seven areas that you need to lean into, lean into it. And then ascending. Is God trying to send you and will you go? On that note, uh, this Hoosier One emphasis ongoing in our church, I want to just bring a couple more tools on there. We're trying to increase the visibility and we're trying to increase the intentionality of that. And so here's a couple tools that we can utilize as a, as a family. Uh, one is just a, a prayer card and a name card. And so take that person's name, uh, first name, write it on this little card, put it somewhere visible so you can be reminded to pray for this person every time you see it. Also, uh, the other half is, is a bookmark. You can put their name on it. Then there's all these verses. Those are verses you can take and pray over that person. So put that in your Bible. Put that in your journal. Just keep it visible as you continue to pray and reach for your one. Also, uh, we have this wall that you'll see over here to my left now. It's just we've brought it into the worship center because it's a prayer wall and it's a tool. And so it keeps the names of all the ones that we're trying to reach. With the church of our size, we're going we're gonna to fill up all those papers. There's pens over there. We're going to fill them up. Put the first name of your one. Everyone say first name. First name. First name only of your one on there. And then as we're here through the week, we can come up to this wall and pray for those names. And there's probably going to be movement because if you're praying for them and you're loving them well, God's going to keep working in their life. And so let's say the guy's name is Joe. You write Joe's name down. We're praying for Joe. There's accountability and intentionality by writing his name down. But then you see movement. Then you put a little, little purple circle next to his name. You see movement in his life. But at some point, you've got to share the gospel. You've got to tell him the gospel. And when you do that, then just take a red marker and put a red cross next to the name saying, Joe's heard the gospel. So then if I see red crosses over there and you see red crosses over there, you can say, Lord, pray for Joe who's heard the gospel. Would you just continue to work in his life as he processes what he's heard? And then at some point, those people are going to come to faith in Christ. We take a green pen representing new life and just underline their name. Big underline. Joe came to faith in Christ. And if he's serious, he's going to get baptized. And so then you take a big blue pen, <laughs> circle that name. We just want to see that thing loaded with names of blue circles, don't we? because God's reaching the ones that we love and care about and hope come to Christ. And so take all that we've talked about. Reach, equip, sin, repeat. Let's be part of it. And let's continue faithfully. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this reminder today of who you are, of the mission that you were on when you came here to rescue humanity through the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. And the mission you have commissioned us to be part of. So, Father, I pray that you take the lessons that we've talked about, that we've pulled out of your word today, and just impress each and every one of us and the ones we need to grow in. But, Lord, impress them on all of us as we work together to reach this world for Christ. Help us be effective and fruitful for your kingdom. We ask in Jesus' name. We all said together, amen.